Welcome to the Swim Swim Breakdown, where we are analyzing this week's top stories in swim. First up on our list, Emma McKeon becomes first woman since 1964 to lead the medal count at an Olympic Games. She won seven medals, four gold, three bronze. Braden, let's start with you. Uh, we have to start with the USA. What does this say about USA's medal count uh, leaving Tokyo? You know, Coleman, we don't have to start with the USA. I know we all live in the USA, but we are a global swim site and we could start with Australia. Um, Emma McKeon was awesome. I think we saw this coming. ISL was her coming out in 2019. Um, and I think we saw this sort of coming from her. You know, it felt like maybe she was being overshadowed a little bit by the Campbell sisters, by some of the other big names that they have, but like, it was clear that she was lined up for a big meet. Um, Australia, especially the women, had a really great meet. The men were okay. You know, I think they they missed out on some medals that maybe they hoped they could have. But overall, this was this was a sort of a return to normal for uh, Australia um, after after a couple of weird meets with some with some drug scandals and some other things that they had going on. Mel. No. I, I, no, I, I feel like everybody's been calling Australia out. Can they, can they perform? They, they, they blow it a lot of times. They have great world champs and then blow it at the Olympic games. And it, so what did they do this time? They had, they brought their trials closer to the Olympics and they also had the same time zone. And, you know, in truth, we, we judge everybody for this performance once every four years, but is it, I mean, I like that. I like the pressure. I like that. Like, can you step up and do it when it counts? But judging a nation that is the size, the population of Orange County compared to the United States always, always makes me insecure and, and it feels unfair. Uh, but I, I, I feel like we have this weird relationship with Australia where we're, we're kind of in awe of them. We're, kind of, we're always in the back of our heads, especially Team USA. We're always kind of going, they're better than us. They just do it better. I, I think it's been that way since the 1980s, but uh, sorry, I rambled. Say something up. nice about say something nice about Emma McEwen. Just say something overtly nice without without casing a nice thing about an Australian. I'm, I will say I will say this: um, when when we see a star emerge and we're we're surprised. This this sounds terrible, but I'm going to say it anyway because it popped into my head. I was so expecting Caleb Dressel to just suck the oxygen out of the room and be the story, and nothing else would matter. And because I'm just, you know, I, it's embarrassing to say it was refreshing to see her performance. I knew it was coming and I was surprised at how much joy I felt watching her kick ass. Screenshot that, save that. Coleman, clip that off and put it on Instagram. <laughs> so, okay. So, uh, Emma McKeon. Obviously, she she had the meet that we all kind of were expecting from her after her ISL performances, after her world's performances. I think she's won four or five plus medals at the last five in the last five years at every major international meet she's been to Commonwealth Games, Pan Packs, Worlds. I mean, she's she's a relay star. She swims three to four individuals every every meet and she got medals in almost all of them. Uh, so Australia kicked butt. Um, what is, what is, what does this say about the U S though? I I'm, I'm coming back, Braden. Um, what do you think about our metal showing and what this says about, uh, where we're at? Yes. Give us a preview, a, re a review of your evaluation. 
You know, I think I think what it comes down to was there were some coaching mistakes, and I know a lot of people in USA Swimming are mad that we keep bringing this up. It's objective. It's factual. There were some coaching mistakes on deck. I think the U.S. was hit harder by COVID than Australia. We know we had way more cases. Australia had fewer lockdowns and fewer cases. Um, so I think I think they were just I think they were on easy street coming into the meet. I think they were feeling good. I think they were more relaxed than we were. And I think we saw some Americans crack in the lead up to the Olympics. You know, for one reason or another, Simone and Mallory Comerford and I. You know. It wasn't, I don't think it was a disaster for the Americans, but I think it's enough to motivate a re-evaluation of what we're doing and how we're doing it. I, I just want to say this. The, um, I read the evaluation, and I, I think you've written several great editorials, great features, great reports over the years, and, 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 I, and I've been like, wow, that was great. This is what I expect from co-founder, editor-in-chief, the machine, Brayden Keith. And I felt that when I read this, um, my phone started to blow up. My phone blew up with, I would say, there were some very noisy, high-ranking people who were upset about this evaluation. And but at the same time, I was hearing from people who have, you know, two, three, four decades in the sport and a lot of Olympic champions, who were saying, "Wow, that was an amazing eval, pitch perfect. This needs to be discussed in the C-suite." So, uh, and that was, the, that was the overwhelming feedback I got. But I think people inside the bubble experiencing this were a little sensitive to it. I should have been the most sens sensitive because you threw me under the bus. You threw the 1988. I love throwing you under the bus. You, you, you I, pulled, it's my favorite thing to do. 1988, Seoul, we had 18 medals. Um, 1992, we had 27 the interesting thing is that you 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 brought up yes there was a tectonic shift USA Swimming created the national team director position we had Dennis Persley who has a long history and 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 frankly it was a difference maker um, I just had a curiosity what you know if if you're sitting at the at the helm of USA Swimming what do you do differently Mr CEO I'm <sighs> I might re-strengthen um, the national team director position. I think Lindsay has done a great job with sort of the things she's been tasked to do, um, but she's she's not an elite swim coach. And so I think whether it's a parallel position or it's a, a reimagining of that, I think we need more I think we need more team camps. I think we, you know, we've seen that work for a lot of countries. I think we need to you know, some of it might be unavoidable. I, I think that there's a chance that some of the way we recruit athletes in the U.S. to college programs can have um, a negative impact. You know, I, we're, we don't necessarily see athletes going to places that work best for them. We don't see athletes moving maybe as easily as they should when it's not working for them. Um, so those, that's, I don't know, that's where I'd start. Um, it's, it can be a little hard to say what needs to be fixed because uh, there's a, a, often a tight wall around Colorado Springs. So we don't always know what they're doing. Um, but those are things I would look at. Those are the areas I would look at just getting, getting athletes to the right spots. This might be a little bit off topic, but I have to ask the question. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, uh, Lindsay, I like Lindsay a lot. I also like that in terms of leadership at USA Swimming that we have, um, we're slightly over 50% in terms of the 
EVP position, which is the division head position. It's it skews female. I, I, I like that. I think it checks out. I feel like she was lifted into this position and she hasn't been empowered enough. If she's empowered more and there's more resources and energy in, you know, in her office, does that solve the problem? I, you know, again, I, I think she's got the leadership abilities to solve the problem. So there's no reason, you know, if we say that the problem is we need to strengthen that department, I don't, that sounds like it would strengthen the department um, for sure. You know, she can't, she can't do everything herself. She needs another person, probably somebody who spent more time on deck as a coach um, supporting her. And, you know, she was a great swimmer. She knows, she knows where great swimmers come from. So I think if you, if you partner her with somebody who's more on deck, they could create a, a great department that gets things turned around. I, you know, I, 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 before we, we were going to do this podcast, I said, I want to keep these topics short, but here I am screwing up my own rule. I have to know from you guys, you have to hear this. Uh, I think the dynamics of what happens, especially at Olympics or world championships when coaches make decisions, relay choices, we have no idea what's going on there. We have, it feels like coaches aren't always empowered to make hard choices and other forces within the ecosystem of that world championship team or Olympic team. We don't know what they are. We, and, 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 and the coach that isn't always given the, the latitude and power to make the decisions that they need to put the right people on certain relays. Well, then, I have, then I have a feeling there's more to that story. Somebody needs to say that, you know, like that the that the response is, you know, basically the response from a corner of this has been to fight with swim swam. So rather than opening up that box, seeing how those decisions were made and evaluating it, the initial response has been to get defensive, tell swim swam they shouldn't say those things and just pretend like it's going to work itself out. And, and maybe they're working on it on the back end. But we don't know that. We only know what they show us. And if this is all they're going to show us, then then they sort of have to live with the evaluation that comes from that. All right. We got to move on. Uh, going from relay performances to the Olympics to individuals, uh, the possibly the biggest story of this week was that Olympic champion Tatiana Schoenmacher may not receive a Republic of South Africa medal payout. Um, she was supposed to, they were guaranteeing 30, 30, $33.8,000 for gold medal. Um, their reason was that, uh, they might not have the money. And if Paralympics, you know, if they have a lot of Paralympic medalists, um, then they might not be able to guarantee payouts for all athletes. Um, Braden, do, do you find this excuse from, well, do you find this reasoning from South Africa legitimate? Uh, I do. And, you know, yes and no. I, I'm not as upset by this as other people because we know, to me, this is part of a bigger story of issues financially within the South African Olympic Committee. You know, they've had to privately fund their trips to the world championships for several years. Um, this is This is just sort of a visible tip of the iceberg of, of a huge problem in South Africa. Um, and, you know, we're seeing that FINA has said they're going to invest millions of dollars in Africa. They're going to open a training center in South Africa. We're hoping some of this will, will help to work itself out. But, um, you know, it's kind of a mess. And, and I, 
I can't fault them for saying, you know, they had, I think, seven Paralympic gold medalists um, in, in Rio. That winds up being nine if they match that again, that they've got to pay this number out to. If they're saying, you know, it's more important to us that we are able to properly fund our athletes traveling to these meets than give them gold medal prize money. I think with where they're at developmentally, I think that makes sense. You know, it's, it's not, it's not the U S where they're going to the Olympics and expecting to win a hundred gold medals. They're, they're trying to get a baseline where they're competitive. Their water polo team was a disaster at the Olympics. They, you know, they had every record broken against them and Personally, I'd rather see them invest more at the base level than, than give big payouts to Olympic gold medalists. Um, this is a problem that a lot of countries face because they just, they just don't have the money to reward the Olympic gold medalists, but maybe there are other avenues to fund that. A few private companies have stepped up and offered money. Um, there's been a crowdfunding that I think is up to about $35,000 for their two Olympic gold medalists. Um, I guess I'm not as upset by it as other people, just looking at it from a, a bigger picture, not from a American, we expect our Olympic champions to be rewarded perspective. I feel like this is a non-issue. I, I agree with everything Braden said, but I also feel like it's a non-issue. I feel like the, the press release, the story that she's not going to get this payout, solve the problem, she's going to get the payout. Um, really, um, I'm, I'm feeling insecure because I didn't come into this conversation knowing what the financials are because, you know, what are they making in the C in the C suite? What is admin making um, in South Africa? And uh, you know, is it what it would a percentage of what the, the C suite or the admin makes to, to, to manage the Olympics in South Africa? Is that, is that enough to cover all of this? That's always a big question. Braden, you might have the answer already. Uh, I've heard rumors, nothing that I can, I can verify enough to, to want to say it on the record. So, so yeah, I, I'm a little bit surprised. You guys don't seem to take too much, uh, too much of a problem with this. Obviously we want to see our, our athletes get paid, but, uh, but there are some bigger issues going on here. And, and ultimately the feeling is she's probably going to get paid, um, in, in one way or another. So well, it's worth it's worth pointing out that she was in conversations to do ISL both years and declined to do so. So there are other avenues for her to get paid that she has not yet taken advantage of. And every athlete has a prerogative to choose where they want to compete and not. Um, but there are more direct avenues to participate that she has declined to do. That's, that's a good point. Uh, so speaking of speaking of direct avenues of income. FINA announces 2.8 million US dollar prize money pool for the 2021 short course world championships in December. That is up 0.8 million from 2018 short course worlds, which is up a million from 2016 short course worlds. Uh, Braden, what, what do you think this says about, <laughs> about FINA's purse and, and how they're trying to, you know, potentially compete with the ISL in terms of prize money and, and a lure for athletes. I think it's great. Um, I think it's interesting that to early 2019, maybe late 2018, Adam Petey says, a short course is dead to me. I don't care about short course. <laughs> There's a whole lot of millions of dollars now floating around that suddenly everybody's willing to, to worry about short course again. Um, so, you know, I think it's, I think it's obviously a very good thing. I think 
ISL and FINA going forward, at least in the short term, are going to be more on the same wavelength. I think the people who run FINA in the now and the people who run ISL, for better or for worse, are more on the same wavelength than the previous administration. I think they're from a more similar generation, from a more similar um, organizational world, and I think they're going to find a way to coexist. Um, I hope that that doesn't kill this sort of arms race that they've had in uh, in funding people. But you know, this this turns into if you're Caleb Dressel, you know, the U.S. hasn't always sent its big stars, but if you're Caleb Dressel, you can make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars from six days of competition. And that's, you know, on Caleb Dressel scale, we know he's making big money with his Olympic medals, but that's not bad. That's, you know, what did Dressel, Dressel made just short of 300,000 for ISL last season. And he was in the bubble for five weeks, plus the extra two and a half weeks of the playoffs. So that's seven and a half weeks for twice as much money. I mean, that's a good competition value, even compared to ISL. He likes the team. He, he liked it for training. And he, he liked it. We saw him get faster and faster and faster. And um, he, he just, he loves the, the college dual meet that format. He, I just think in, from a personal mental health standpoint, he really needed ISL last year and he enjoyed it. That that's off topic. Um, what I, what I would like to bring into this is uh, Brent Nowicki. You know, we got this 42 year old kid, excuse me. He is not a kid. He is a young professional who is, um, he, he stepped up and said, this is going to be a new era and it's going to work. And it seems like it has worked. And, uh, but I wonder how far a, a, a young chief executive is going to push this arms race. It just in the back of my head, I'm like, he's 42. This guy's got to have big ideas. Got to have a big vision. How far will he push it? It sounds like he wants to find middle ground and a common ground. It sounds like ISL does as well. We have quotes from both sides. Uh, Constantine Gregorshin said, you know, he, he's, um, it seems like he's opening the door a little bit to to uh, to them having a to to having a day talk. Three, three months ago, he said he wanted to destroy the Olympics. So, you know, it, it's hard to hard to know where those people stand. We we have a recent quote from him for the next issue of Sunshine Magazine that is that is much more softened. So maybe something happened. But, you know, you got to think about where are they getting this money from? Um, where has all this money been hiding? We talked about the millions they're going to spend in Africa, another million on this. Um, there's a cynical view of where it's been coming from. Um, there's, you know, they have a cash reserve, but they lost $20 million last year. Um, so where is this money coming from? Is it sustainable? You know, FINA still has the support of a lot of national federations um, who provide for many athletes, more funding than the ISL does. So they still sort of, you know, if you're German, you're going to short course worlds. You're, you're not skipping short course worlds for ISL. And, and this year you don't have to because um, ISL will finish in November and short course worlds will be three, three weeks later in December. So it won't even be this back and forth that we saw in 2019 with Euro short course. Um, but I, you know, I wonder where the money's coming from, what pools they're pulling out of. Let's put a cherry on this, on this topic. Uh, the last, the most recent quote we've gotten, which has been in the last few days from, from Konstantin Grigorshin and the, the man, the vision behind the founder of, of International Summit League. And uh, we put it to him and it was a brain question. How long are you going to finance this? And his response was that, you know, he still sees ISL as a startup. He doesn't want to be nailed down and as, as to what point they would have to, you know, break even to be profitable. 
but he sees it as a startup enterprise and he sees it as uh, he was delayed because of the pandemic and he thinks it's going to take a few years. So it sounds like he has the bandwidth to keep ISL going. I don't know what's going to happen on the FINA side in terms of their finances, but uh, it sounds it sounds like the wheels are going to be greased for a few more years. All right, so so we'll put a cherry on that. Uh, going to a more personal side, we sat down with uh, Olympic silver medalist, Olympic champion Kyle Chalmers uh, to discuss his experience in Tokyo. He was on the podcast, talked for almost an hour. Um, and I think the most surprising part for me was the fact that he really went into the history of his shoulders in the last 18 months and how he had injuries in both shoulders. He was, he, he had a, he had a drain out. He was getting cortisone shots. Um, he, he really went in deep. Um, Braden was, we had reported on several of his shoulder rehabs, injuries, and, 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 you know, no one ever doubted Kyle. He, he always looked great. Um, but in the podcast, he really opened up and was like, yeah, I wasn't always sure. I wasn't at full training until after our trials. Uh, did, did that surprise you? Did, did, was that what you expected to hear from, from King Kyle? Yeah. Even, I think even following this as we were, I don't think we really realized how bad his shoulder was. And the fact that he was able to be as competitive as he was, you know, it, it looked like he, he was maybe going to win that race. I, I think that was surprising to hear just how bad it was. And I think that shows how good of an athlete he is. You know, we know his, his athletic pedigree through his dad, who was a professional Aussie rules football player, but you know, this is, this is the bigger narrative of swimming that with Caleb Dressel and with Kyle Chalmers, that these athletes, it's, it's no longer, Mel, I'm going to throw you under the bus again. There's a generation of swimmers who just worked their brains out and, you know, for better or for worse, willed themselves to the top level of swimming. And now you see these athletes who Kyle Chalmers can be out of full training until three weeks before the Olympics and get a silver medal because he is just that good of an athlete, his natural tools. And he's still working hard. I don't want to say they're not working hard, but those natural tools can, can really drive sort of an extra level of swimming that I don't know that we've seen before. Secret sauce to swimming has, and always will be your legs. Sarah Showstrom. Chalmers. It is, we, we don't know how deep we can dive into the cosmos of, of, of your motorboat and kicking. We, we had an example back in my day in 1988 with Chris Jacobs, who broke his arm and then kicked in the entire season. But it seems like you, you, uh, we see what legs do and we see what it do, they do in terms of getting home. Uh, you know, there, there, there's there's always a topic I wanted to get into and just talk across a lot of great coaches and great athletes and say, hey, what's your kick game? You know, uh, we used to do 10,000 meters a day every Tuesday, just kick. Uh, you know, how much further are we going with that? The uh, so I didn't I didn't know that he, he, he was he, he was having shoulder difficulty and it was that close to the games. But it's uh, with with your ability to, to drive with your legs and if you are a legs driven swimmer. Um, also not surprised that, that he was able to, 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 to get where he needed to be as an aside, holy crap, you're Caleb Dressel. You're that great. And you're never safe. He wasn't safe. That's what's mm -hmm. extraordinary to me. 
Well, I mean, and he, it wasn't just Sean. I mean, in the final, it was just, it was him and Chalmers as, as we all expected, but you know, coming in, you had Popovici, you had Kalashnikov, you had all these guys who, who were getting down to 47 high 47 mid. And it's like, Hmm, one of these guys could pop, but you know, still no one's gotten close to him in final. So I guess we'll see (laughs) this. All right. Popovici is going to be the new Alexander Popov. Similar strokes. He's going to pop something. He's going to pop something. (laughs) He's going to pop something fast here in the next year, 18 months. Uh, I hope I, I, it would, I would love to see him. He's reached this, this threshold at such a young age. I would love to see him pop again. I think most men change between 16. You know, there's like, you, you, there's a change that happens, you know, in the United States, we look at it through college. It's usually freshman, sophomore year. There's there you, it's, it's your testosterone naturally increases. Um, it also happens again about, you know, somewhere between 22 and 25. So it's a, He's got he's he's gonna get faster just from development. I hope I hope that he remains disciplined and hungry. So uh moving on to <laughs> to to the next to the different kind of kick game. We're talking about breaststroke. Ohio State's Hudson McDaniel time trials a 26-92-50 breast, which kind of flew under the radar. Uh, this didn't get as much attention as I thought, but it put him number four American all time. I, no one's even heard of Hudson McDaniel if you're, if you're not a Buckeye, I don't think. Um, but 26-92, that's serious speed, did it in a time trial. He was out, I think, 27 low in his 100 to try to get that 50 split as well at the Speedo Summer Championships in Greensboro. Um, Braden, I, I think this is, this is one of many, uh, big steps that Ohio state's taking as a program. What do you see here? Uh, first of all, Coleman, you are killing it with your segues today. So <laughs> congratulations. Um, I think, I think Ohio state is rising. We, we saw it with the women, um, over the last two years, they should, they have every resource in the world. They have a fantastic facility. They've now got a combined program um, that that seems to be, they seem to have figured things out, how to combine it, um, how to get the momentum from the, the women over to the men. They've got history. They won a lot of NCAA titles. Um, you know, I think Ohio State is on the rise and, and we're going to see some great Indiana, Michigan, Ohio State battles in the Big Ten in the next few years, which I'm excited about because they sort of lots of dual meets with each other. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I am so hyped for the Bed League Relays next year. Um, they were they were fifth in the 200 NCAA's. I don't remember what they were in the 400, but you know Louisville brings back their whole relay. Michigan brings back everybody but their anchor. Florida brings back their whole relay. Cal brings back everybody but Ryan Hoffer. Virginia adds Matt King to their relay. Um, that's going to be an absolute bloodbath, uh, and I can't wait to see it. I have nothing to say on this topic other than the fact that it's 2021 and we still don't have 50s at the Olympic level, which just makes me bitter. I don't know if we need them. I, I like 50s. I like them at Worlds. Do we really need six more events at the Olympics? Yes, we do. And here's why. It's too long. We- cut, cut semis. If you cut semis for the 200-meter stroke races, I'll give you 50s. I think if you cut – I think it's brilliant. Thank you, CEO of, of – god of the olympic games will make you will make you the god of the olympic games if you do this yes cut the semis in the 200 athletes would love you for that too um but it's important here's why it's important we should know on earth 
at the moment where we judge everybody as who is the best and who's going to get their piece of history, we should know who can bring the nitro and all the different strokes that we have in swimming and throw in side stroke as a bonus. Yeah, my grandma could compete in the side stroke. That'd be perfect. I just, I, it, I think it's too long. I mean, even we get bored by the end of an eight day. We, you know, we and we can see it from even from our regular audience. People just people are bored by that point. I just think it's I think it's too many races. It's too much to focus on. Then we should have it. We should have a an elimination round. You know, one hour race where it's with the tight qualifier where you know it's uh, do the, do that do like too. track and field. Like, you know, they have semis at the beginning of the final session for, for the, for the short races and then finals at the end of the session and, and, and your placement th- within the race matters, not just your yeah. time. If you win your race or top three in your race, you'd been, I'd love to see that almost as like a separate event, like the swimming pentathlon, uh, do it the, the, the second week and come up with some kind of like fifties format <laughs> where it's just like Florent Manadou and Caleb Dressel going nuts for 30 minutes in a row. Got it. I've got it. Since you're the god of the Olympics, Braden, since we just made you the god of the Olympics and, and you and you 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 work this out, we eliminate I I'm I'm all for eliminating semis in the two hundred. Uh but I I would like to see this 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 fifty uh elimination round. They could drop it in in the middle of the open water. So we could cut away from open water in the middle of it and just go to the elimination rounds and then we can come back. We could always be coming back to the open water. It's you just, must you know, work we, for NBC. It, it would be fire and ice. You know, yeah. you're, you're, you're showing the, 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 the athletes with the most, you know, the biggest lungs and the best distance. And we're showing the, the speed burners. Or we could do it during the 1500. We could do because they swim in a 10 lane pool, but they only use eight of them. So you could have the 1500 going over here and just use the other two lanes for a 50 head to head showdown. Well, let's be real. The last, the last fifty of the men's fifteen hundred was was a fifty showdown. Bobby Fink won that one uh, by, by a mile. I don't know how we got back onto the Olympics, but, but we're taking it back to college, uh, which probably maybe the biggest story of the month uh, outside of the Olympics. Uh, the SEC extends an invitation to Texas and Oklahoma for July of two thousand twenty-five just in case the SEC uh, wasn't ridiculous enough. Braden, as a former, as a Texas A&M Aggie, what are your emotions like right now? Um, I hate this for college sports. I, I, I've written this. I think college sports are slowly trundling towards their own demise because I think there's this thing in college sports where like people want to feel as though Oh my God, look, this, this incredible athlete moved across the country because he believed in the, the Aggie spirit, the same way that I believed in the Aggie spirit. And cause he wanted to get the same education that I got. And I can tell all my friends that I went to the same college as Johnny Manziel. But like, I feel like the further we go down this road, people are going to lose that. And then you've got 110,000 seat stadiums that you start to struggle to fill and, and the universities stop wanting to, to back fund the, some of the smaller schools. So I just, you know, I hate this for college athletics. I love it for college swimming. Um, you know, I, I used to be a coach in Texas and I would get lots of questions from kids looking to, re, to, to go to college. Where should I go to college? 
you know, I, I, Texas offered me a visit and they were a swimmer who was good enough to swim at Texas, but not good enough to contribute at Texas. And what I told them is you have to know when you go to Texas, that if you're not scoring at NCAA championships, there is a chance that you will feel like you had an empty season. If you're just a big 12 conference swimmer, you have to know that your placement at your end of season championship meet almost doesn't matter. And, and that can still be cool when you're on a team that's winning NCAA titles and everybody on every, every team at Texas or Cal or one of these other teams will say, Oh, I'd much rather be a, a non-contributor on an NCAA team. Okay, great. If you, if you believe that that's fine, but I, I think it's a much more satisfying experience for college swimming to have Texas competing at a competitive conference championship meet. That was, uh, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, I'll, it all checks out and I agree with it. Um, from a different point of view, I, I, I think, I, I think that this is what I think is going to happen to college sports. It's, it's, it's semi-pro pro. And I actually, I actually do think if, if, if we work out the bugs, it's going to be a situation where, uh, it can be improved and the experience can be improved. And I do think that fans will show up. And I do think they're going to identify with whatever team they're, they identify with, uh, in terms of swimming, I think this is going, I think college swimming is going to turn into a, uh, God, I, I just know what's going on in the background with, with, uh, with athletes getting signed. I think it's going to become this, uh, this new age of the semi pros. And, uh, a lot of people are upset by that. A lot of people think this is going to go sideways, but I, I, I see it evolving in, in a direction that's actually good for the sport. I, you know, it's, we've seen a lot of swimmers, especially female swimmers go pro before college and have it be an absolute disaster. This won't, this won't eliminate all of that because a lot of that has, to, has to do with, you know, staying with a certain coach or whatever. Um, but if, if, if this can limit some of that, I think that's a good thing. Mel, do you, do you see, college sports splintering further do you see a third subset of division one coming about for football i i i feel like football is just going to become one super i just think the conferences are going to just i think it's going to end up being one one big league one big conference it seems like there's an arms race and they're just gonna the the, the best of the best are all going to become one super league and that's going to be what it ends up being I just I I don't I don't follow it closely enough to have a really strong opinion. I just in terms of business, I feel like that's the direction it's moving in. Moving on from NCAA, our big finisher today is about our big finisher for this week. Justina Kozan closes out the Speedo Summer Championships in Irvine with a win in the 200 IM, closing that race in 29.75, coming home in her freestyle leg faster than. All 2020 Olympic finalists, yes, all eight of them, she was home faster than she won the event in 211.96, uh, which would have placed seventh in the Olympic final. Um, so, so it was a bit of a back half split. Um, but Braden, we, we, Justina's been on the national stage for probably at least two or three years now. She's been a rising star. She's in our top. 20. I think she's number one or two for a ranked recruit in her class. Uh, but what do you make of this swim? You know, it's, 
it, I, I'm conflicted about this, right? She's obviously a great swimmer. If she makes the Olympic team in Paris, it won't be surprising, although we have a lot of very good young IMers. She's certainly going to wind up on national teams, probably World University Games teams. Um, I feel conflicted because all along I've said with Michael Andrew, the other most famous finisher in American IM swimming, <laughs> it doesn't matter what your last split is. I mean, it matters what your last split is, but it doesn't matter nearly as much as what your final time is. And if Michael Andrew can close at a 30 point and go 155 low, then who cares if he closes in a 30 point? He's, he's still the third fastest American in history. On this one, I, I feel like a little bit of a hypocrite, but like I want to see her on a taper do something different. You know, it, maybe that's the difference. That's how I can justify this. Michael Andrews swims tapered a lot. He's had the opportunities to experiment. Um, we we haven't seen Justina experiment with going out hard. You know, 29-7 close on a woman says to me, she's got more to give earlier in that race. And somehow in my head, that feels different than Michael Andrew gassing himself at 150 and, and, and finishing in a 30 point. Um, it probably, maybe it isn't, maybe that's not fair. I don't know. Um, but I'd love to see her show up and this would have been the year to do it, right? Everything's kind of cattywampus and the meets aren't aligned to what they're normally aligned to. This would have been the year to show up and try it, but I guess her and her coach have, have done enough to, to believe that this is the, the answer. But, you know, I said it during trials, I think Americans fetish, fetishize a little closing fast in races. Um, and I think that's what we saw happen with that 400 free where he came back, Jake Mitchell came back on the, the time trial later and was so much faster because he went out so much faster. So I just, I hope that coaches are doing the proper experimentation to figure out which way it works, even if that's just in prelims or whatever it is. But I hope we're, I hope we're not just getting in love with this closing split stuff and ignoring the total package. It's a lot, Bobby Fink. <laughs> congrats to her. You know, congrats to her. Monster, monster last 50 coming home. Fantastic. Only 17 years old. What a great metric to compare against the Olympic final. Rah, rah, rah. Everybody applaud. This is the truth. Uh, it, when you're racing and you want to be an elite and you want to be in the hunt, Braden said it one way, I'll say it another. You've got to find your edge. If you don't find your edge, then you failed. And that's something that is, you know, not, not a knock on her. She's, she can, she can still find her edge. And uh, like you said, she'd like to see her tapered a lot, racing this a lot. And really that's what it's about. You should be pushing your 200 IM, which frankly is, is, you know, it's, 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 a, it's four fifty sprints. You got to find that edge. And if, um, if you're coming home this quickly, you have to recognize if, if she's talking to her coach and they're, they're putting their heads together after it's over and they're doing some analysis on what they're going to do next season, they have to admit to a degree on some level, a little bit of a mistake, a little bit of a failure, but it's uh, yeah, it's the interesting thing is that if, if, if you, if you're, if you're swimming at this top end speed at this level, you're, um, if, if you if if you're if you're hitting the right speed and gear going out, uh, you should be dying on that last fifty. You should be fading and tying up coming into the wall in the last fifty. 
but you, you've got to find out where that's at. And it's, um, you've, you've got to be willing to risk everything. I love seeing athletes die. I love it. It's not just fun because you know how much they're hurting. And part of you is going, I'm not hurting, but they are. But it's, uh, I just, I appreciate the courage. So looking forward to her future and seeing her levels of courage. Well, Mel, do you know, so 2012 Olympics, we won't go too far into the controversy because I don't think it's very fair. I don't think what, what happened was very fair, but Yi Shai Wen closed very fast. Do you know what she closed in? Uh, in the 29-3? 29-3. Uh, peek behind the scenes, Mel knows because I told him before we started the podcast. I did, um, that's not fair. That's not fair. I was close. People, people who are listening don't know that you were looking at your notes. Um, so she closed in 29.3. So it is possible to close for a woman in 29 and go 207 high. So maybe, maybe we're looking at this wrong. Maybe she's got, maybe she's got her freestyle leg worked out and she's still just working on the other three legs. So maybe who knows, what do we know? We just sit and watch and say opinions and they've got to go out and do the work. So uh, we, I think we're excited to see it, right? Like, I think that's what it comes down to is we're all excited to see what happens. We love these sort of statistical anomalies, these split anomalies. We love Bobby Fink's closing 50s over and over again. I, that's what makes it fun. If everybody swims it the same way, it's, it, it loses a little bit of the excitement, right? I, I, there was, I feel like there's just been this rebirth of 200 AM. You know, we can't wait. It's like, could it ever be interesting after Phelps and Lochte? And I think Michael Andrew did that. And I feel like your commentary on it was, you know, you, you've been beating that drum for a long time with Andrew saying, doesn't matter. Three fast 50s, he could, he could split a 30-point coming home, and it wouldn't matter if he's fast enough. Uh, yeah, it's um, – I, 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 this is not about him. Let's, well, I, but I do have to say one thing about him. I, I, I hope that he focuses on it through 2024, Michael Andrew. And we hope that we see – uh, Justina, I, I hope that I hope that we see her get aggressive on the front end of her two I am. So two two different styles, hoping to, hoping to see some some changes. I've got a little reward for people who have listened to the end of the podcast. And Mel, I'm sure you've heard this rumor, but the rumor is that there was a point in time when Michael Andrew was considering the 400 IM, basically to prove that USRPT could be used in a 400 IM. So that's a that's a little nugget for everybody who's stuck a lot around this long. Now you know that. Didn't wasn't there a period of time where he did focus on the 400 IM and then like he broke the nag, the short course nag in it, and was like he broke he broke every he broke every nag when he was in his grouper. There's nothing he didn't get. That's what we enjoyed about him. <laughs> so, for those of you who have stuck around, this has been Swim Swim Breakdown. Tune in weekly uh, for our analysis on the top stories every week in swim.